0: The book of Romans has been called the king of the New Testament epistles, and for good reason. The letter is all about God and the good news that no matter who we are or what we've done, though we're all sinful and well-deserving of God's judgment, we can be saved from God's wrath simply by trusting in God's Son. We are put right with God through grace, through faith. Salvation is a gift from God. This is the message of Romans. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this incredible book. Father God, we acknowledge your wonderful presence in this very room where two or three gather together. Lord Jesus, you taught us from your own lips that you are present in the congregation of your people. So we acknowledge your presence here, presence to help and to give us a hope and a future, to comfort, to instruct, and not to harm, but to receive us. Teach us, Holy Spirit, new, fresh, exciting truths about our wonderful salvation. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Back in the 60s, when I was a mere grade school student... And I was a grade school student back in the 60s. There's a television show that was all the rage. It was very different about a family that took dysfunctional to a whole new level. Let me show you the house that they lived in. Oh. <laughs> it was the Adams family with two D's there, and, uh, you know, a far cry. From the family television series that preceded it, you know, like um, Father Knows Best, and all of these shows, so this had a different theme. Let me introduce you to the occupants. <laughs> you know, they all had a macabre kind of name. It was more, more, more Tisha of course, was mom and wife to Gomez. I don't know about that. And then then we had Lurch, who always answered the door, good evening, you know. And we have little Pugsley there. That's fitting. Uncle Fester. (laughs) And, uh, you know, they also had this thing, this thing was called the thing and it was a dismembered hand that just appeared out of nowhere kind of walking around like that now I for one did not watch the show because I got kind of creeped out by it and my life was already kind of creeped out so I thought why add to it you know so uh, to this day I don't like those kinds of things to watch but it was very uh, popular uh, the song said it all. Their theme song? I don't know if you remember it. <laughs> they're creepy and they're kooky. 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 And they're mysterious and spooky. Kooky. They're altogether ooky. <laughs> I don't know what ooky means, but it's not pleasant. <laughs> The Adams Family, right? Well, you may be asking yourself this morning, how in the world does this Kooky family have anything to do with our passage in Romans chapter 5 this morning? The answer, sadly, more than you might care to think. And let me explain. Here in Romans chapter 5, Paul's going to go back. And explain where all our troubles began in our family of origin back to Adam's family. If you recall, the family of Adam, the first man, along with his wife Eve, their tragic fall from grace and their consequential estrangement from the God who had given. Them life and how Adam, as the progenitor of the human family, became a sinner and produced a race of junior sinners, I should say. Uh, And these sinners who came from Adam and Eve really perfected the art of sinning. A family altogether (laughs) uki, the human family, because like Father, who was a transgressor, God said, Here's the line, don't cross over it. And Adam with full knowledge crossed over it. And so did Eve, our mother, like father, like son, like mother, like daughter. We do the same things that Adam and Eve did, rebelling, disobeying and sinning against God. So in this sense, the apple did not fall very far from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So now Paul's going to tell us. All right. Let's get go back to the beginning. To see how we got into all this trouble. And what God did to fix the problem. Because uh, we're related to Adam. And because we uh, have, have behaved like Adam behaved. And sinned like Adam. We must die like Adam. But the story doesn't stop there, does it? The good news is this that there's a second Adam and that God in his love decided in his heart to become one of us, that Christ is called the God-man and have a kind of do-over. So we have the first Adam and everybody was affected by what he did and now come along some 2,500 years later, right? Or yeah, the, the second Adam comes along Jesus Christ the God man who's going to have a new family, a new life, a new destiny. Two men, Adam and Christ, and two different families to belong to you, you either belong to one or the other, uh, or both. But the point of the passage is you have to be reconnected to the second Adam in order to live. And here Are our verses for study We'll begin at verse 12 Now I'm just going to tell you As the scripture goes up There's a lot of phrases There's a lot of words There's only 11 verses But there's a lot in there No panicking allowed All right, Because you have a tour guide We're going to stop We're going to go back through it It's all going to make sense And actually There's only a couple simple ideas here But they're rephrased over and over again So here we go Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. And before the commandments were given, the time of Moses, before that even happened, sin was in the world. But sin's not taken into account when there's no commandment. Nevertheless, death still reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, Even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come, the new man, Christ. But the gift is not like the trespass or sin. For if the many died by the sin of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the rest. result, I should say, of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many sins and brings justification or pardon or acquittal. That's what that word means. Okay, finishing up. For if by the sin of the one man death reigned through that one man, Adam, How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of getting right with God reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of one sin was condemnation to all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was acquittal, pardon, forgiveness, just as if you've never sinned. That brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of that one man, the many were made sinners. So also through the obedience of the one man, Christ, the many will be made right with God. The commandments came at Moses time. They were added so that sin and the knowledge of sin might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the reading of God's word. And so we're going to take a look at that this morning. So just getting situated before we dive in. I'm picking up in verse 12 and continuing throughout till verse 21 ends chapter 5. And Paul's got kind of two things he wants to explain as he rounds out his thoughts here about justification by grace. In other words, the way to be forgiven by God, even though you're guilty, is through a gracious act of God's part, a gift that you attain not by earning it, but by trusting Christ by believing. So he's got two things on his mind. He, he, why is it that every human, without exception, is a sinner who needs salvation and rescue? For Adam's action affected everybody and brought sin and death. He wants to get into that, all right? And moreover, he wants to talk about the remedy the remedy, a new man, the do over, the God man who comes on the scene. And by his actions, he affects all mankind as well, giving whosoever desires a way out. So we are all potential beneficiaries of eternal life. In short, one man ruined everything and one man fixed everything. To whom do you belong? Which camp are you in? Now on earth, Uh, There's about 195 countries. There's probably 23 or 24 major languages. And uh, everybody says there are four general races of people. But heaven's perspective, the Bible says there's two families. There's two people. There's two men that matter. And everyone falls under the representation of just two men. No matter who you are in the 195 countries or the 24 languages or the four races, God sees it pretty easy. Two men, you're in or connected to either one. And the one leads to death. One reverses the curse of the fall and leads to life. And that is the theological underpinnings of the passage before us. Uh, it divides quite nicely. Verses 12 through 14 are going to introduce Adam and Christ, the two heads of the two human families. And then verses 15 through 17, note takers, are going to um, show how Adam and Christ are different. So Adam and Christ contrasted. And then the last couple verses are going to show how Adam and Christ are similar but how Christ is so much more significant. And so, of course, the sole purpose of all of this comparing and contrasting the two men are, is helping us to decide to ditch our family of origin, that if you remain by default what you are, you are already connected to the wrong Adams family. And the D in Adam stands for death, because you who are connected to a man who sinned and you with him in that sinning must die. That's where death came from. And so the whole point of this is, <laughs> get out of Adam and into Christ and be saved. So let's get uh, started here, get acquainted this uh, the first couple verses there. Uh, For point number one, introduction of the two men, Adam and Christ. Adam, paradise lost, Christ, paradise found. Let's focus in now. So I'll paraphrase this that you're looking at, verses 12 through 14. Sin enters the world through Adam. Uh, Sin brings death, and since everybody's a sinner, we all die people were sinning long before the 10 commandments he wants to show especially the Jews that that all humans receiving are receiving the death penalty as a result of their connection to Adam it's because you are Adam's son or daughter that you must die because God said if you disconnect from me you're going to die and so that's where death comes from and that's what's explained here in our text so let's dive and we begin with the therefore wherever there's a therefore you always ask yourself what's it there for right and it's therefore because verse 11 that comes right before 12 just said some good news that through Jesus Christ and the cross we are reconciled back to God so Paul and the Holy Spirit anticipate the question of somebody who missed Romans 1 through 3 why do I need to be reconciled to God You know, what have I done? I've been born. I'm a child of God. You know, if I believe in God, then we're all God's children. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we are all God's creation, that we're all made in his image. Check, check, check that we're all loved and valued the same, but we are not all his children. Because of the fall, we got disconnected. We're estranged. We are not. We are Adam's children because we behave like Adam. But God did something to change all of that. And that's what we're talking about. He says by, There he says, uh, by virtue of your relationship to Adam and by evidence of your sinful behavior, you are estranged from God from birth. Now, this is something called original sin, which modern people uh, do not like to receive. They don't like the understanding that they were sinners at birth. But that's what the Bible teaches, that Adam was a transgressor. He became a transgressor, that Eve became a transgressor. And the union of two transgressors who disconnected from life, produced children, who also were disconnected, and that's why Jesus was saying, it's not about being good, Nicodemus. You have to be reconnected. You were born, still born spiritually. So, how is it that people think you're gonna be good enough to get to heaven when you're dead in sins? And the whole point of the gospel is to bring us not to right good behavior. It's to reconnect the spirit back to the spirit of God and Jesus calls that being born again. And unless that happens, Jesus said, flesh and blood, being just related to Adam, can never enter through the gates of heaven. You have to have a new birth and that's the way you get out of family Adam one and into the true Adam, the God man who brings life. And forgiveness of sins. Even King David said this. He had an epiphany. He said, surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Psalm 51 and verse 5. And that sin nature separates us and estranges. So the quick answer is, why do we need to be reconciled to God? Because we were estranged. Now, here we go. Here it says... A simple answer to a very complicated question, one of life's big questions. And there are a few children start to ask them you know, where do babies come from? (laughs) How did I get here? Why am I here? And then there's this why do I have to die? When I was just a kid, I was probably five years old. I've told you this before. I was leaning my head against the pillow and I heard the pulse in my ear. And I realized how fragile life could be that all I need to hear is no pulse. And I would be dead. And I went to my parents in a panic and said, why don't, Why am I going to die? I'm going to die. I mean, uh, you know, if my heart stops, if my heart could stop, I'm going to die. What happens? Why do I have to die? Okay, <laughs> calm down. <laughs> and my mother said, what all? Unbelieving. Moms. At the time, my mom was an unbeliever. She came to faith late in life. My mom says, uh, oh, honey, it's a, just a natural part of life. And I remember thinking, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I, <laughs> and that's probably how I said it. That's ridiculous. I remember thinking, that doesn't make sense. What do you mean it's a part of life? Death is not a part of life, a natural part of life. And, and it's scripturally true. God never intended that. That would be like saying that the natural part of love is abuse. The natural part of, of water is fire. <laughs> the natural part of being rich is being dirt poor. That's how, much makes it, that's how much sense it makes. But if you tell a lie long enough, guess what? It's still a lie. Still a lie. God breathed into our nostrils in Genesis chapter 2 the breath of life and man became an eternal soul. And no matter where you spend eternity, you will live forever if you call the second death living. You will die forever, but you will be fully conscious because there's no such thing as a temporary soul. No such thing at all. So original sin, the church fathers, 4th century Augustine led the way and said everybody's born sinful, born with a built-in urge to do bad things and disobey God. And now <laughs> honestly, come on, original sin. If you've had a toddler, you will re- you will realize you did not need to teach that toddler how to be self-absorbed. You didn't need to teach him how to be violent when he doesn't get his way. You didn't have to teach your child how to lie. You really didn't. In fact, they can teach us a thing or two. <laughs> Hello? You out there? I think you got your thinking faces on and that's not a bad thing. So Paul's attempt here at the verses before you is not to explain where evil came from but just how sin entered our world and affected you where evil came from that's another chapter in the bible and another sermon but it entered our world okay he says let's make this easy one man began it caused all the problems and one man came along and offered the remedy it's not rocket science in fact he uses the the word one o-n-e 11 times in these verses. So he says, hey, it all comes down to simple. It's simple. One man, Adam. One act of disobedience. One sin. One consequence, death. Versus one man, Christ. One act of goodness, the cross. One act of obedience, surrendering to the cross. One consequence, eternal life. One, one, one. So it says sin entered the world. That's an interesting thing. Genesis chapter three uh, and verses one through six. Let me read it to you. Now the serpent was more crafty than the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He says to the woman, (laughs) did God really actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And right away he's twisting it, right? So the woman says, Eve says back, First mistake talking to the serpent in the first place. Uh, We may eat of all the trees, all the fruit of the trees. But God did say you shall not eat the fruit of the tree that's in the middle. Don't even go near it. Don't touch it. He did say that lest we die. And the serpent says you will not surely die. For God knows That when you eat of that fruit, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to know what he knows, good from evil. He can't have that. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it always looks good. And that it was delightful for the eyes and it always delights the eyes. And that the tree was desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit and ate it. She gave it to her husband and... Who was with her and he ate it too. A, re, a repeated refrain of the devil's M.O. Number one, question the word of God. Once your anchor goes away and it becomes a narrative, it becomes a story, it becomes a paradigm. You have nothing. You're lost. That was step number one, and he does it today. He's doing it today to some of your friends. You believe it? The Bible's literal? Yeah, we do. Number two, contradict the truth for a deceptive lie. Let's swap the truth out for a lie. Number three, impugn God's character. You know, he's trying to keep you from something. You know, how could a God of love let that happen to you? You were praying, 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 and look how he treated you, and he stumbled a lot of people with that line of thought. So that's what he does. She ate anyway. Bottom line, she shares it with Adam. He eats with his eyes open. At least Eve can say, you know what? I got all fogged up. I was- Deceived, But Adam ate <laughs> full understanding, eyes wide open. And that, my friends, is why God always blames Adam. It's his responsibility. They died. They Did they fall over and die? No. So what was meant there? Spiritually speaking, you disconnected from the source of life. The one who blew the breath into your being to make you an eternal soul. You pulled back. You've severed the cord of life and your children. The first one with a belly button, Cain, turns out to be a murderer of his brother because he's jealous of him. That's the union of Adam and Eve produced a murderer. That's what he's saying. Because why? Cain was born... And Jesus came to reconnect the spirit. By through simple faith, he breathes back into you. He breathed on the disciples in the upper room. <laughs> this is a picture of the recreation. He's going all the way back to Genesis 2 and says, now receive the Holy Spirit and breathe on them into the nostrils of their life the second time. And this time, it's reconnecting to life the man the God man the man Christ Jesus and so yes indeed uh, we have a savior now their union produces this, these disconnected replicas you and me and a whole lot of others and one man's disobedience brings condemnation to all now That, verse 12, is in the same line, verse 14, verse 15, verse 16, verse 17, verse 18, verse 19. Let me explain this to you. It's important. Now, maybe somebody, it's simple, but it stumbles a lot of people. How fair is that, that the whole race is condemned by one person's disobedient act? How fair is that? I've got a way better question for you to be asking. Think of all the sinners that resulted that Adam created (laughs) and all their sins that they have been piling up since the dawn of time. How fair is it that one other man comes, a sinless man, lays down his life, and God takes his wrath for all of those sinners and all of their sins throughout the dawn of time We're up to 7,000 years of sins and puts it on the sinless son so that whosoever, the biggest sinner on the planet, can simply say, I'm sorry, and gets everything. you want to talk about not being able to understand the fairness? Ask that question. How somebody who could live a wretched life and be dying the death penalty and mocking Jesus while they're both dying. And then the sun goes out. There's maybe an earthquake. The love from the guy talking, Jesus. And the guy has a change of mind. He goes, (laughs) you know, the sun goes out. He's like, whoops, uh, I shouldn't have said that. You know, so he says, okay, okay. Hey, Jesus, remember me (laughs) when you come into your kingdom because you're the real deal. He gets paradise He killed somebody. He was mocking Jesus until 15 minutes ago. How fair is it that he gets to go to eternal life now for nothing but saying, let's go, I'm afraid to die, save me, Jesus. And God says, okay, because it was real. So that's the first thing I want us to consider. How fair is that? Now, It sounds to me, by looking at this, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death comes to all men because all sinned. Not all have sinned, but all sinned in Adam. Whoa, that's a hard one. How fair is that? That he's ascribing to you Sin that Adam did and he's saying that you're complicit that you were somehow in Adam you know how the King James says that we were in his loins we were programmed into that soul and that purpose we come we're his kids so God already had us in him when he died we died we were with him a hundred percent and most scholars say this If there was a human being capable of withstanding and standing with God in truth, they would have been there who wouldn't fall. So the fact that Adam represents us is because we're all Adam and we all would have done the same thing. And we all did the same thing because we prove it every time you sin, you say, I'm with Adam. You've, you've stepped over, you've drawn a line in the sand, thou shalt not lie. Guess what? My bottom's on the line, I'm gonna lie. I don't care what you say, God. So I vote for Adam, and I vote for the serpent, because the serpent said, follow me. So every time you've ever sinned by choice, you said, I'm with Adam, Adam's with me. And every time you've repented, And every time you've obeyed and laid down your life, and every time you've confessed your sin and trusted Christ, you say, I may have been in Adam and I still have some sort of connection with him, but I'm with the new man now. I'm with a new family and I'm acting like him now, and I stand for him. You see, there's two men, there's two families. Which family do you live in? Which family do you act like? Which father do you look like and resemble in your life? All right, so if he knew we were going to, and by the way, I'm spending a lot of time on the first paragraph. The other two paragraphs, they go zip, zip, zip. All right? They do. Honest. (laughs) Then why did he put us in the garden? He knew what was going to happen. Why? 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 Number one, maybe it's worth the risk to him. Number two, maybe without the fall, we'd never know how horrible sin is or to the extent of his love. Or three, maybe he knows something we don't know. What do you think? (laughs) That could be the case, right? How about this? When you get to heaven... You'll be able to do theological trigonometry and even be able to say trigonometry. <laughs> and you'll go, of course, of course, of course. You know, I had a guy who told me once, I didn't ask for any of this. I didn't I had nothing to do with Adam. And Adam's original scene gets pushed onto me. I wasn't even born. I didn't even do anything wrong. I don't even know why I'm getting blamed and sucked up into this whole thing. I had nothing to do with Adam. And I said, look, Let's say that you were abducted from your home there in London. Let's pretend August 31st, 1911. Your captors bound you and blindfolded you, but they definitely took you out of your home. You were traveling. It sounded like you were on some kind of journey. And then three days later, you escape. You pull the blindfold off and man, you're out at sea. Oh, man, what are they doing? Taking you out of the country. And you're on this ginormous ship. And then you grab somebody and say, Hey, hey, what's the name of this ship? And and they say, Hey, it's the Titanic. We're We're going to America, man. And 15 minutes later, there's a big boom. The iceberg. Water's coming in. People are screaming. People are panicking. The alarms are going off. The lifeboats are available, and in this case, let's say they're available to everybody, and somebody says, man, get in the lifeboat, and you say, excuse me, I have no business being here. I didn't buy a ticket, I don't even know how I got here. I just showed up, and here I am. I'm not happy about it. Who wants to go to America? Not me, did I sign up? I'm a, I'm a British citizen. Sir, newsflash, water is pouring into the vessel. The ship is pitching back and forth. Have you noticed that? And it's about to go bottom up, stern down, port (laughs) aside. (laughs) It's about to sink. Get in the lifeboats, buddy. Then we'll figure out how you got here later. Get yourself out of harm's way before you try to get stumbled over all the theological conundrums about how you ended up here uninvited. Somebody wanted you here, and you're here. And your current reality is this you're gonna die. And why are you gonna die? Well, the Bible explains because you've sinned, but you have a Savior jump this ship, get on the good ship of salvation, manned by a different Adam, a much better one. No offense to Pastor Adam. (laughs) The Lord Christ Jesus. And then he throws out this. He said, you know, maybe there were Jews and Christians who would say, hey, we know we're sinful. Before the ink was dry kind of thing, before the commandments made it down the mountain. And in fact, before the, the... commandments came down that mountain they were having a burning man thing in the desert there with golden calves and and drunkenness and not wearing all their clothes before the commandments even came down so the jews know hey before we even got the commandments we were sinning and paul says oh no oh it's way worse than that you think the problem started with the commandments oh no it started before the dust of creation was settled that Adam fell away and you were there in Adam and you died on day one. The whole race perished. Day one. Are your good deeds gonna fix that? Maybe you wanna donate to Salvation Army and hope to to fix that problem and say nice things and maybe bring flowers to your wife occasionally. You think that's gonna fix it? That's the point of these passages. The passage is to show you this is way beyond being a good person. We need a total makeover. We need a rescuer, not a man from the earth, but a man from heaven, the second Adam, to come down. All in Adam die, but all who are in Christ will be made alive. And that's the point of there. And, and he makes a good point. He says, hey, before the law was even here, 2,500 years before Moses showed up with laws, Cain was sharpening his sickle to, in the Hebrew, slaughter his brother. Be 2,500 years before thou shalt not murder your brother, that's Paul saying, we've got a big, big problem, people. But we've got a big, big Savior. Amen? Let's talk more about this as we go on. Thank you. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass by one man, how much more did God's grace and that gift that came by grace of that one man overflow to the many i can kind of sum this up for us here so he's saying but the great but there's a great difference between adam's sin and god's gracious gift and so we've been introduced to adam and Christ and now he wants to show you how they're different and I'll tell you exactly what's going on here he wants us to stand amazed not at how you were just amazed that by one man's sin the entire race could perish he says you know what that's not the wow the wow isn't in the fall from grace the wow is from the rescue from heaven that's the gospel and he wants to make that straight in us not about the traitorous act of Adam but the heroic obedience of Christ where Christ cries out if there's any other way I'll drink the cup of all of their sins but if there's any other way let it pass from me he wants us to be amazed at the rescue not at as one man sinned and messed it up for us all now We're going to take a look at these verses. But you know what I mean by this. Some testimonies, you wonder who's the star of the story, right? You know, one guy says, you know, before I was a Christian, I robbed 10 banks. And it was so ingenious, they couldn't catch me. In fact, I have a little clipping from the press Democrat that says, you know, FBI, confounded by genius, bank robber <laughs> So you start wondering, you know, are we going to get to Jesus in the story or or what? Paul saying, "No way are we giving Adam and the nightmare of what Satan did through Adam and sin the glory because he says, "Let's just come see how they're different." In significance, in impact, in drama, in love. And so that's what he's doing here. Not on Paul's watch are we going to give all the credit to Adam and the sin. So, in three ways, he's uh, saying that Jesus' effect on the world is different from Adam's effect on the world. So, number one, they're different in nature. Verse 19 Adam sinned and disobeys. And death spreads like wildfire. Whoa, we're all like, whoa. But he says, hey, stand amazed because Christ obeys and God's grace falls down like torrential rain all over the planet that every nation, every tribe, every, every language, every people group that's ever sinned. Let's not talk about the fire. Let's talk about the grace Of God's goodness. Number two, verse 16, he says their two actions have different impact. He says Adam's one sin is followed by condemnation for all, but stand amazed because all those billions and billions of sins are wiped out by one act of obedience. So, in other words, he's saying Adam's sin is dwarfed by God's response of grace and we already alluded to it that the millions and millions of sins committed are covered under one act father forgive them for they know no they do not know what they're doing that's the wow the scripture's want to show you not the wow of how we got wrecked but how god saves and then thirdly and lastly in verse 17 The two actions between the two men are different in their results. Yes, uh, if Adam was crowned for anything, he would be crowned as prince of death. Because it was through him that death entered the world through sin. And so death reigns through Prince Adam. You know, most scholars say you'll see Adam and Eve in heaven because they were saved. They continue a relationship with God after the fall. God makes a promise of a savior to them and they are covered by animal skins, their shame and nakedness. Now, what had to happen to cover them? God covered them with animal hide. He had to have a first sacrifice. And because animals died and blood was shed in the garden of Eden, blood was spilled. And those skins covered their shame. That, my friend, is a picture of salvation. So we will see them. Now, as regarding being found naked, the scriptures say that God is a, a being of light. He wraps himself in light, and we were made in his image. That Adam and Eve in the garden. Were wrapped in light. They were emanating light. They were eternal. They were glorious. They had bodies like his. And when they disconnected, the light went out. That's where they were found naked, is without the light, without the emanation of glory, you see? And so God comes, Jesus comes back as the light of the world, breathing back. Into us the light of life, it's called the second Adam, the do over, the redeemer, the fixer of the mess, the God of love and mercy and compassion. So, uh, he's the prince of death because death reigns in Adam, but. The Lord Jesus is the Lord of life and that his life will conquer the sin, the death, the devil, the condemnation, and all of that. So here we go. We finish up now as he wraps up. Verses 18 to 21, I'll just sum up what's there. We'll walk through. The first thing as we see how their actions, Christ and Adams are alike. Uh, Verse 18, he says, um, one sin resulted in condemnation for all. One act of mercy brings life for all. Now, he goes on to say in verse 19, one disobedience produced many sinners. One obedience made many right with God. Verse 20, he says, by the way, God brought the commandments in to show how bad things really were. So it's one thing to think, okay, we're doing our thing. You don't even know sometimes that you're breaking the law until you know what the law says, right? So, so the scriptures say, in due time, God brought into a very sinful world the scriptures to point out to people how far they have fallen from God's original moral intentions for his people, and so there's, with the scriptures coming, the commands come, the knowledge of our sin increases. Not only does it mean that, but it means when you're, when the sinful nature hears thou shalt not, the first thing it wants to do is thou shalt, all right? It gets provoked. Like you go on a diet, I don't want any chocolate cake. Honey, don't get chocolate cake in the house. You know, I'm not gonna have chocolate cake ever. I'm never gonna have cake. I'm never gonna have chocolate, blah, 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 blah. And and as soon as she's out the door, what are you doing? You're Googling around for a recipe for chocolate cake. You know, that's all you think about. I'm gonna go to Costco. I'm gonna get one of those big, enormous chocolate cakes. (laughs) And then you don't want it to show up on your credit card, right? So you're going to steal it, you know? (laughs) All right. Okay. I'm not going to steal it. All right. I'm just going to sample it. There's samples at Costco. She's standing right there. Maybe. Yeah. All right. You know, he's saying, listen, he's saying the law provokes us. Oh, yeah. You say I can't. I want to do it with all my heart. And we do. And he says, as your knowledge of sin increases, as you, your desire to sin increased, God's grace, look at this. Be wowed at this. God's grace rose to the occasion and met us there and more. So grace triumphs. I love that. Now, catch this. These verses are used by false teachers to teach a false doctrine called universalism. And let me point it out to you. He says, uh, let's see. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the rest, the result, I did that again. the The result of one act of righteousness was justification, pardon, that brings life for all men who believe but they use this to say because Jesus died and paid for all of our sins, and this says that everybody's been reconciled, that there is no hell, and that ultimately all people will be saved because of these kinds of verses, but they cut and paste the Bible so that you don't see the qualifier that says, he who has the son has, has life. He who does not have the son Shall not see life, for the wrath of God remains on him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Here's the qualifier. You can't cut this part out and just go with this. He's saying life for all means that all are presented with the opportunity of life. Choose this day I've laid before you, death and life. Choose life. So it comes down to choosing. So watch out for that because today it's very popular to take hell out of the equation. And you've got, you know, Preachers traveling with Oprah Winfrey telling everybody everything's cool. Jesus died for your sins and he gives life to all. See, it says it right there. Except they don't tell you the whole truth. The whole truth is in Revelation chapter 20 when people are standing before a great white throne and they are removed forever in a place called hell who did not receive Their sins were all paid for. And this is the horror and the sting of hell and why Jesus says there's gnashing of teeth. That means angry because they didn't have to go there. Their sins were paid for. Everybody who perishes in hell, they have a zero balance on their account. They just refused to receive and access that which was theirs to receive, to believe. And what? For what kind of effort? For simply believing and trusting, come and say, I'm a wreck. I've screwed up my life. Save me. I trust you. Everything for nothing. That's the gospel. And that, that's a, that's really big. I want to close with this thought. Um, God often uses this to head of the family's analogy, and it comes from ancient cultural uh, practices in warfare, and here's what they did. They would choose two guys to represent two warring nations and let them duke it out and save everybody from massive bloodshed. So, in fact, you have a great example of that in 1 Samuel 17 with David and Goliath. Goliath is called a champion. And in the Hebrew, Bennaim, it means middle guy. It means in the space guy. So he was the guy they chose. The Philistines were in Goliath. They were invested in him. So Goliath goes out to represent them. Their vict- His victory will be the Philistines' victory. And David comes out as the champion representing all of Israel. And they go at it. And the winner, the one man's conquering uh, of the other guy is a victory for everybody else. Do you see? And this is the picture. We have Adam who was defeated and Christ who was victorious. And we are in the sidelines, right? So this is what we learned. The contrast. Adam he brought sin into the world, but Christ gives people victory. Uh, Adam, many die because of his sin, but many will live because of Jesus' grace. Thirdly, his sin results in condemnation, and Christ's death results in justification. That word means just as if I've never sinned. Adam's disobedience brings sin to many. Christ's obedience. Nevertheless, your will, not my will, but your will, his obedience to the Father brings righteousness to many. And then finally, Adam's sin reigns in death, but Christ's grace reigns to bring eternal life. So you have the two camps. You have Adam and you have Christ. Really? And all mankind is on the sidelines. And he's just saying, choose. Choose. Do you want to be an Adam and die? You know, let me show you the house again. Adam's house. Do you want to live there? Do you want to live there? You know, aren't you tired of that place, man? It's creepy and it's spooky and it's all together, right? Or, or do you want to go to the place? The Father has prepared for us, right? Now, you know, I imagine angels who see this, when you go, yeah, the place in heaven, the angels just go, oh, no. (laughs) They just cover their eyes because, oh, are you kidding me? That's the best we could do, clouds and a long table and some cheesy gates, and the angels are like, if they only knew what's up there. Well, we can't because it says, no eye has seen no ear has heard, nor has it entered into the heart of any person the wonderful things God has prepared for those who love him. That's why the Apostle John, when he gets the revelation and he sees everything, I always do this, right? He says, ah, shiny, ah, shiny, light, light, there's a rainbow, uh, there's like the sea, it looks like glass, and the streets, shiny, shiny, gold, shiny. there's a, You said nothing. We don't know anything. There's something, what? All, you, all we know is there's gemstones, gemstones. Oh, come on. We can't picture anything, so we have to do this with a table on clouds, you know? Listen, let me assure you that the God who came up with the majestic Swiss Alps and Hawaiian paradises and everything in between. He knows how to spread a feast. He knows what we like. He's going to make our mouths drop wide open. And it's only for children who were born into the new Adam through the gospel being connected to Christ. And the legacy of Christ is life and forgiveness and eternal pleasures forevermore. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for just how you love us and that dramatic rescue that we'll be talking about for to the end of eternity, which is a long time. Thank you for your wonderful love. And now... We ask that you bless our understanding, and as we worship you, just knit this all together to encourage our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock's podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.